BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time. Bonus, bonus, bonus. Uh, As you hear this show, we are hours away from uh, mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot officially removing the elect part from that title and becoming Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And the people sitting across the table from me probably had as much to do with that as anyone else in the city of Chicago. Two old friends of the Ben Jarofsky Show, one real old friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show, Joanna Klonsky, ace political strategist uh, who worked for Lori Lightfoot in the campaign, and Jason McGrath, uh, a, a pollster from J-G-B-A-O strategies. I got that right, Jason? No. Oh. <laughs> Close enough. G-B-A-O. It's Kabao. Oh, G-B-A-O. There's no J? No. All right. No, okay. no J. G-B-A-O. Okay, G-B-A-O. It was very close, though. It was very close. Close enough, man. Anyway, uh, Jason was on a show about two weeks ago. We were talking political strategies, and it's one of the most popular shows, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Uh, Jason McGrath, Joanna Klonsky, they were there from the start of the Lori Lightfoot mayoral campaign, so we're going to break it apart. What did it take to get Lori Lightfoot from being completely unknown political figure in the fringes of Chicago politics uh, to be the mayor of the city of Chicago, the most exalted position in all of Chicago? Joanna Klonsky and Jason McGrath are my guests. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. All right, so we'll just start off, Joanna, the question. We'll just start off, just sort of paint the picture. Uh, we Let's take us back to the summer of 2018. Uh, Lori Lightfoot has announced that she's running for mayor of Chicago, and most Chicagoans are saying, oh, uh, talk about the challenges you Most faced. Chicagoans were not even saying anything about this at all at that point. <laughs> yeah. Summer Chicago. Summer Chicago, like, but nobody it, knows. Right, no one's paying any attention. I will say, I joined this campaign in June 2018 thinking we were going against Rom because that's just my thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if we really could do it or not. It wasn't really clear how how he was positioned, how weak was he. Um, was he going to raise up a scrillion dollars again? We knew he would. Um, but... Um, I had already worked on two other races against Rom before in 2011, 2015, so it seemed like a natural place for me to go. Jason was one of the folks who convinced me to come on board. Jason had already been on board. Yeah, I uh, I was on board from day one, I guess. Um, we we were uh, asked us to speak with uh, Mayor-elect Lightfoot, I think in December of 2017, before she had made any decisions and mm-hmm. wanted to just sort of take the temperature and see what was, uh, you know, what was possible and the changes she wanted to see in the city and why she thought she was best equipped to to uh, affect them. And I think that's really the way that the race sort of played itself out on all the way until September 4th or 5th or whatever day it was that uh, Mayor Emanuel stepped on the stage and let the world know that he was going to be done after eight years. So um, we had to 
change our plan a little bit at that point, I guess. All right, let's talk about the challenges uh, embedded in running against Mayor Rahm, because you had a pivot there, uh, Joanna, obviously from what you're talking about, from how you were going to run a campaign with Mayor Rahm uh, in the race. So what were you gearing up to do uh, to run against Mayor Rahm? Well, I think to, to run against Rahm, it was, obviously was a completely different strategy, and it was a fixation again on what had happened since 2015. Um, don't forget all of the Laquan stuff broke after Rahm's re-election in 2015. I think Lor, Lor, the mayor-elect now, Lori, had been a champion on police reform and championed the need for a consent, CPD consent decree. So I think we were looking at a strong focus on those sort of issues. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're in 2018 and you're looking at the race that's going to be in February, you have a mayor whose standing was not nearly as strong as it was when he was reelected for the reasons that Joanna just stated, but um, also had some real problems on sort of both ends of the political spectrum. There were a lot of progressives, especially younger progressives, um, communities of color who had provided the margin for the mayor's victories in 11 and 15 who were disenchanted with some of his leadership. And then there were the decisions that were made um, in terms of some of the fiscal challenges that that he, to be fair, inherited, um, but that gave some folks potentially in uh, more, uh, you know, 41st Ward, 19th Ward, places like that had had some concerns about the cost of living in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was kind of squeezed from both directions. And we knew that uh, that the mayor Lex, that, that Lori's background actually gave us an opportunity to sort of bridge some of those divides um, and provide a real challenge. Now we had to get to the second round and we knew it was gonna be hard and there were a number of other candidates who were running and I think that the mayor's team, which is wasn't is and was incredibly talented and smart group of political operatives also knew that they had some challenges and that uh, a candidate like Lightfoot was well uh, positioned to, to make the most of them. So. That was the plan. That was the plan. We did research. We knew we had a path. It was not going to be easy. Uh, I think you said what a scrillion dollars, bescrillion dollars. <laughs> that was going to be. That was just going to be the first week that they were going to throw at us, and it was going to go up from there. Now, did you had had you uh, internal polling? Yeah. So, and what did the polls show? Uh, this again before Rom left. This, so we're talking roughly, you know, August of 2018 thereabouts. What did the polling show uh, about Lori versus Rom? A, a lot of interest. Um, I, I think anytime you're going to introduce some, I mean, talk about interest. This was before we were even uh, announced as a candidate, so nobody really had a sense of who the Chicago Police Board president was. Mm-hmm. And we were in a position where we kind of explained her background and who she was, and we introduced. Uh, in the course of a, a survey instrument, this new candidate to people, and we got a good sense that you know what she was saying about, and ended up being all the things that she said all the way through the election about investing in underserved communities, about uh, police accountability, about schools, about um, finances. All these things actually resonated with people, and there were vulnerabilities against the mayor that had never really been opened up, like, for example, what happened um, after the Laquan McDonald tape was released. Um, that, as Joanna said, was not part of the 2015 campaign. Uh, no one had really, in a political context, used that uh, against uh, current leadership. I guess the 2016 uh, state's attorney's race that Joanna and I both worked on was sort of a test run for that. But um, it was a problem. And we saw that there was a path in this environment. And again, a survey is not the real world. I mean, a survey doesn't fight back doesn't have a bisquillion dollars and we knew it was going to be a real challenge to beat someone as 
someone who had never lost an election like Rahm, Rahm Emanuel. Mm. It's hard to lose an election when everybody's on your side, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Joanna, talk about that. The Laquan McDonald uh, video, which was released, uh, as you were saying, in November two, 2015, after Chewy Garcia was de defeated by Rahm, um, soured so many people in the city of Chicago on Mayor Rahm because most people, I'm speaking generally here, assume that he uh, hid that intentionally hid that video from view uh, because he thought it would uh, undercut his reelection campaign. Did you discover that that was the case, that, that he was still vulnerable uh, for, uh, fall, from the fallout from that? That was already three years had passed. We're talking about something that happened, went down in November of 2015 when the judge ordered the tape released and when people could see the tape and uh, decisions that were being made in August of 2018, three years past, it was still a volatile issue? Was it as volatile as it was in November 2015? Probably not. But I think everyone knew when analyzing the field of play that we were going to be reopening that wound and picking at that scab and talking about it. It's part of Lori Lightfoot's story how she came to be a person who anyone knew who she was, was that she was the chair of the Police Accountability Task Force who had issued the scathing report that ex laid bare and exposed the culture of racism and um, a lack of accountability in the police department and that she had been banging this drum. And so it's part of her story and everyone knew we were gonna be talking about it no matter what. Yeah, I mean, in the math, the calculus changed so dramatically with that. You win elections in Chicago by building coalitions. You can't just be the African-American candidate. You can't just be the liberal candidate. You have to be able to talk to more than one person at a time. Something that I think the mayor did, that Mayor Emanuel did quite well in 11-15. He overwhelmingly won African-American wards both in uh, the 2011 first round, which was the only round, and the second round in 2015. I think that was going to be a lot more difficult against Lori Lightfoot. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know the reasons why he decided not to run. Although he seemed pretty happy the day that he walked on stage and <laughs> didn't have the weight of the world on his shoulders anymore. But um, it, it's absolutely a very, um, a very difficult thing to do to win an election without a broad coalition in Chicago, which. Uh, we were thankfully able to, to illustrate in April. I presume he didn't run for the same uh, reason that uh, Lori was excited about her opportunities. The polls show he was exceedingly vulnerable and he did not want to lose. Uh, that's my own personal belief. Uh, looking in from the outside, I do not know Rahm Emanuel, so I can't to say that I ever had a conversation with him about it. But anyway, be that as it may, for whatever reason, he decides to step out and uh, suddenly the entire campaign <laughs> that you guys were strategizing and planning right out the window. I have to imagine on a certain level that it was sort of a deflating moment because everything that uh, you had been building in terms of a campaign apparatus, a strategy, your polling, uh, your fundraising, your positioning of Lori as a candidate was dedicated to running against Mayor Rahm. And uh, now Mayor Rahm's out of the picture and all these other people are jumping in the race. Was it a deflating moment? Well, I, I will say the day that the announcement came down, I'll never forget it, I was in the car we were actually, I was with Katie McFadden, who was on your show with Jason last time. We were in the car coming back from Willowbrook because she and I had just run a press conference outside of the sterogenics mm. plan. Um, and we're in the car and the news breaks. I get the call and I punched her in the arm as hard as I could because I was so excited. I was like, 
elated, like, oh my God. And then 30 <laughs> seconds went by and I was like, crap. Okay, no, this is actually not a good thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we had all of the emotions um, yeah, pretty all quickly. The all of the feels, right at about the same time. Same thing, I, I realized I texted a bunch of people from the campaign. I, I put on a suit, I, don't, I work out of my house, so I don't get dressed up, I don't have to. And <laughs> I put on a suit and I went downtown because we had a statement right away. And it was, I mean, it was a, obviously a game changer. And, um, you know, people were talking about Lori Lightfoot as sort of the, the biggest candidate that remained in the field in some respects. And we knew that that was not going to be the case in a week or mm -hmm. in two weeks or three weeks. I mean, this was the opportunity that a lot of people had been waiting for for a long time. And they weren't going to just pass it up mm -hmm. because Lori Lightfoot was in the race. And we knew that. So we were happy for a minute and then thought pretty quickly that we were gonna have to reorient our strategy. Well, Mayor Rahm in his characteristic arrogance said something or very soon thereafter, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, the next mayor of Chicago has uh, not announced his or her candidacy, is not currently in right. the race. So is Rahm's <laughs> way of just putting down everybody who was in the race as though they're not worthy of <laughs> following me. Uh, did you subscribe to that notion as well, Joanna? Well, in your darkest moments we there? were i was really <laughs> discouraged at that point and for several months after where we kind of just didn't really think there was a path yeah. for us but that we had to ride the thing out but i will also say and i said this to everyone i'm sure i said it to you 80 times ben i kept telling myself the contours of this race have changed 180 degrees like several times already and they still may do so several more times and so we can't assume who's viable and who's not viable. Now I'm saying it, the same talking point about the presidential campaign. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, we, that was a very easy talking point to keep, you know, look, the race is not the race that it was in June. It's not the race that it was in September. And it changed in October, November, and it changed about 40 times over the last three weeks <laughs> of the campaign, which was mostly to our benefit. No, but guys, I have to tell you, you guys talk about talking points. I'm not talking so much about what you tell uh, the media. I'm talking about what you say to yourself as you wake up every morning. God damn! You That's know, you, what I would say to myself. You give yourself a talking point? Yeah. We should not look through our old texts. That would be bad. <laughs> Wait, you don't think I wake up in the morning and write myself talking? <laughs> How long have you known it? Joanna, Hello, talk. communications <laughs> professional. Oh my God. Talking points to myself, the yes. Joanna Klonsky story. <laughs> um, but uh, so, all right, uh, path to victory. So how long did it take you to figure out what the path to victory was for Lori Lightfoot in the uh, aftermath of Mayor Rahm stepping out? I mean, it was different. I mean, we had well, a, a while, um, time. a long time. Well, we had, we had a we, we were going to run as a the progressive candidate because we were in that original dynamic, who was going to also be able to you know to take advantage of some of the vulnerabilities that the mayor had on taxes and, and build that coalition. We had a lot of progressive you know, leaders and organizers and organizations who were very very excited about the Lightfoot candidacy who stopped returning our calls wow. um, to see what mm. what happened with the with the field and look we we get it I mean politics is a very complicated race uh, a complicated uh, industry and you know, there were candidates who were considering jumping in the race who had really strong bona fides with a lot of that community uh, Chewy Garcia obviously would have been an incredibly formidable candidate uh, President Preckwinkle has been working with these organizations for decades so we understood in some respect but it really did shake things up and make us think a little bit differently about 
not who Lori was, because that never changed, mm-hmm. or the issue she cared about, because that never changed, but in the limited bandwidth that we had to communicate with voters, how we were going to stand out and be different than, not Rahm Emanuel, that was easy, yeah. but then the entire everybody, bar, yeah. You know, of uh, Chicago politicians. All right, so let's run it down. Ultimately, let's see if I could do this from memory, Joanne. <laughs> this is a test of my uh, forever aging memory. Uh, immediately uh, jumping into the race were Tony Preckwinkle, Susanna Mendoza, Gary Chico, uh, your boy Bill Daly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joanne likes Bill Daly. <laughs> I've never met Phil Daly. You like the dailies. Yeah. I like some of the dailies. Some of the dailies. There's a lot of different dailies. All right, hold on. Let me see. I just did four that jumped into the race. Who am I forgetting? Let me add a little pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Dennis. Wow. Let's hear it, buddy. Cookies to do. Oh, sorry. Um, I think, uh, did I say Susan Mandadoza? You have 30 more to remember. Oh, my God. No, I'm talking about people who jumped into the race. I know. I'm not talking about people (laughs) who were in the race. I know, she said. Dorothy, no, is Dorothy Brown one of the original gangsters? She never made it to the ballot. Yeah, I know, but. uh, Amara, you forgot your Amara. But no, Amara was an original gangster. get in? I don't know, man. Wait, who? Who? Willie did, who Wilson. Willie Wilson was an original Wilson. gangster. The original gangsters I could do. Paul, Lori Lightfoot, Paul Vallis, Willie Wilson, Amara Enya, Gary McCarthy. Big what about Mac. Bob Fioretti? Bob Fioretti. Oh yeah, Bob Fioretti jumped in. Was he a gangster or was he? Uh, Bob Fioretti. Bob Fioretti is not a gangster. Okay, all right. Jay anyway, Maul was in the race for a minute. Jay Maul was in the race before. He, they were all because I had a radio show. They all came on the show. What was that station I worked at? Do you? I don't know. I can't remember. You got fired. Oh, yeah, that station. Anyway, all right. So, um, a lot of candidates. The, the, a lot of candidates. But the, <laughs> the, <laughs> I think the station is called You Got Fired. W, You Got Fired. Um, but, all right. So, uh, so obviously, okay, obviously, this is what I was saying. As soon as Tony Preckwinkle uh, got in the ring, I probably told Joanna this. Oh, she's our next mayor. Tony Preckwinkle is oh. our next mayor. The number of people who said to me, what are you doing Wasting your time running against Tony Preckwinkle. You're stupid. You don't know anything about well, politics. Okay. Let I me, can't begin who, to tell you. Who would have told you that? Oh. Who possibly could several, have said that to you? Yeah. Several. Can you men. remember anybody who would have said names? that? Any names <laughs> besides several, me? <laughs> several, several men. Uh, yeah. No, wait. Okay. Uh, yeah. Several men. Oh, my can... industry of choice yeah. to me. Uh, yes. No, that's called uh, uh, mansplaining. That is called mansplaining. Yeah. Um, Joanna, not only were men doing it, but uh, Tony Preckwick was doing it. And this, I remember this one. Now it's coming back. It's like a memory flashback. <laughs> Sneed, the columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, had a column where, God, just the bare outlines are coming back, like Preckwinkle, just was the donors are telling Lightfoot, get out, we're not going to support you. It's the Corporation Council thing, right? Yeah, there was a a Sneed item at some point, very shortly after uh, President Preckwinkle got in, that said, um, you know, Tony and Lori have, have... are coming to some kind of agreement, and That's if, what it she, was, yeah. if she agrees to get out, she'll be the corporation counselor or something. Yeah, right. she'll be which, the corporation which, counselor. Which, look, I mean, <laughs> well, first of all, you know, I, who knows the thing about those kind of columns when there's no source named as like anybody can kind of say whatever they want, and it is what it is. But. The, the truth is, look, that conversation never happened. So, nope. it, it, and if the intention was to make it harder for Lori Lightfoot to establish space in a really 
crowded field and raise money, then there was a moment which it was effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it more than anything else, and I think Chicagoans, if they haven't figured this out, will figure it out pretty soon. Um, it really stiffened Lori's spine. Um, I think when the chips seemed like they were against her and she felt as though people weren't treating her as a serious candidate and making up stories that really just weren't true, it, that, I think, redoubled her efforts to want to run and want to say what she felt like she had to say. Um, you know, I, I can't speak to her own perspective, but she never, um, she never told us that she wanted to get out. She never told us that she wanted to be anything but the mayor of Chicago. So, no, and yeah. she is a person who, if you try to strong arm her, yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, I think people are starting to get this about her. She, it 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 only it only makes her more um, determined, dedicated. Yeah, it just doesn't work. It that might be relevant for other reasons now, right? That that attribute of hers as she as she yeah, navigates the know, challenges in front council. of. Oh, we're talking about the city council reorganization. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's breaking as we speak. I just got a press release, uh, probably written by Joanna Klonsky. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, about the reorganization no of the the Chicago City Council. Scotty Wagaspak, finance chair. All right. Uh, so, did you? fear any particular candidate more than the other? Did you have a sense that one candidate more than the other was in your lane that was competing for the same votes that you were? Like you, the big ones were Daly, uh, Mendoza, Preckwinkle, these, you know, the, the best known candidates in the ram. I mean, obviously Chico and Bells, but uh, did, uh, was there any candidate more than any other that uh, scared you? Well, to me, I mean, the conventional wisdom was very much that Tony Preckwinkle was in our lane and would have all the labor support and had a 25-year track record and had would outraise us and we would have no avenue to getting there. And everybody said that, and that made a lot of sense. I, I thought it made a lot of sense as well. And then all of us were wrong. Somehow the two people in the same lane ended up in the runoff. So if we were in the same lane, we wouldn't be in the runoff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that lane is pretty wide in Chicago in terms yeah. of progressives and, and um, in some case, reformers. But there was an element of reform that was part of our framing that had been from day one that really fit Lori's profile better than President Preckwinkle's and really yeah. better than almost anybody's in that, in that, in that field. field. Yeah. And look, we went through November and December and January and there were some major changes on our team and we had to regroup and we, you know, we were looking at different ways we could throw the ball down the field. And we knew that we were in a, you know, a, a huddle. We knew that the public polling that was out there had the better known candidates doing better, which is always the case, which is part of the reason why Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are at the front of all the polls for the um the, the Democratic nomination. It's not that they're not formidable. One of them very well may win, but name ID has a lot to do with this mm-hmm. thing. So we knew that we had a dwindling amount of time and we needed to find a lane and we needed to run in it. And uh, at one point, I can't remember when, probably in January, um, when we were, you know, we're struggling to, to get our message out, um, the decision was made to, to try one more time to see what we could do to get our message across. We got a little bit of resources and we did a survey, and this must have been, it was January 24th or 25th. And one of the days of, I, I know this, I know some of these days, we wrote it down on point. The 24th or 25th, a public poll came out that had Lori in ninth place at 3%. Mm. That was, that sucked. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, people let us wow. know that they saw those numbers too, because, you know, it wasn't good. Um, <laughs> but I did a poll that, that uh, our firm did right around the same time that showed, 
uh, President Preckwinkle in first place, mm -hmm. and it showed Susana Mendoza a few points back, yeah. and it showed every other candidate that we tested between seven and nine percent. It mm -hmm. was just like you know when you have five year olds playing soccer and they're just all together bunched together and there's nobody breaking free. That's what this race looked like, and President Preckwinkle's standing was not very good. So we knew that there was an opening, there was a path, and we moved quickly, and that's when we put the, uh, that's when we, we, we asked our esteemed um, team of uh, uh, Ian Russell and Phil DeVelise from Beacon Media to, to help us put together an ad that ended up being pretty good and, and really set that's the stage that, for what we wanted to do. That's the ad in the back room where she, First turns on the light. Oh, the cockroach that was our first ad. ad. Yeah, uh, and uh, well, no, we not the cockroach. I know. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Ben. Off message. Ben. Off message. Ben. I'm going to get a, a, a text message, Joanna. You're off message. Okay. Also, uh, I want to say this about that ad. Yeah. We did not have money. We had zero money basically at this point, and. Um, I remember the Tribune reporter Hal Dardick at one point texting me being like, when are you guys getting up on the air? Because it's getting clicked down to the wire. Where's your TV spot? And I was like, it's coming, Hal. And in my head, I was like, it's not coming, Hal. And then we, we just scraped it together and got something. It was a small buy. All right. Now, the conventional wisdom uh, is, and I wrote these things down while you're just off the top of my head, that there were three things that propelled Lori from this moment where she's at sort of in the middle of the pack at best uh, in a complicated race. One more time, uh, listeners, my listeners would know this by heart, but uh, if nobody gets more than 50%, the top two go into a runoff. So it's everything, everybody's fighting to either be first or second. Uh, and it uh, really doesn't matter if you're first or second. You just got to make that runoff. Uh, and there are three things. One, and I'm just rattling them off, the Sun-Times editorial in which uh, Lori's uh, face was splashed on the front page. Uh, two, the infamous Rob Martwick press conference where Lori was having the press conference and uh, State Representative Rob Martwick, a good friend of this show, uh, <laughs> invaded it and uh, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with her. Uh, bad move, Rob. You know I love you, but still bad move. <laughs> uh, and then three, perhaps the most important thing of all, uh, Ed Burke getting indicted. Right. And uh, so, Joanna, take it away. Which one was like the real changing point, do you think? Of those three, well, Ed Burke getting charged criminally with extortion was certainly, or actually before he was charged, but the, the FBI raid on his office, mm -hmm. um, which sort of set all of this in motion. Yeah. A d another day I'll never forget, I got a text early in the morning from a friend being like, uh, Go upstairs. Are you at City Hall? You should go upstairs and check out Ed Burke's office right now. The windows are covered in brown paper. Yeah. <laughs> that really set off a chain of events. Can I tell a, a funny story about the Martwick moment? Yeah. Um, and this is not to you know bring up old stuff. It's just a, a small <laughs> funny story about it is that Nadia Pearl, who was our incredible communications director yeah. on the campaign, um, was at the the tech, uh, the press conference that Lori was giving that day, and um, she texted us. Either 
Rob Martwick just walked in? Or a guy who looks exactly like Rob Martwick just walked <laughs> in? What do I do? And then, obviously, the rest is history. So yeah, I think it happened too fast for us to give any thoughts or I was advice. Like, I don't think Rob Martwick <laughs> has a twin. To refresh people's memories, uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, had a press conference to denounce a bill. Oh, my God. The machinations within machinations. Uh, Lori Lightfoot looking for an issue. Right. Uh, really looking for an issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to tie Joe Berrios to, it's coming back to me now, trying to tie Joe Berrios, perhaps the most unpopular politician in Cook County, to Tony Preckwinkle, had a press conference to denounce a bill proposed by Rob Martwick that would do away the county assessor's office and make it an appointed, God, I can't believe I remember this, and Rob Martwick showed up to defend his bill. Yeah, I mean, you're describing the bill, and it's boring even to me, and nobody would have cared. Yeah. Nobody would have There were like four reporters yeah, there, I yeah. think. Nobody would have And they really were all kind of like, uh, not sure I'm going to write an article about this boring story. Well, and then the whole conflagration. But just happened. think about this. Think about what the underlining story here is that that's how desperate Lori was. That she was having a press conference to highlight a bill to give some kind of. Well, well I, I mean, I, I, here comes sorry, the defense. Go I mean, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. I, look, I mean, this was February 18th. So it was uh -huh. eight days before the election. Was we, it that close yeah, to the election? It was very close to the election. Oh we God. always wanted to be in front of cameras. Lori was always very strong and remains strong when she's delivering her message. And this was on brand. This was exactly what the Sun-Times said in their endorsement. Time out, so the Sun-Times endorsement had come February. We went on TV, I think, on February 7th. The endorsement came out on the 8th. And this particular, and there was a poll that had us in the top four, I think, on the 14th or 15th. So actually, yeah. you already. By then, we were a little we were, bit Something in the, was in moving. It. We were real at that oh, point. It real, so Ed Burke really was, and, and, and when I think of the Ed Burke, uh, and I was wrong to say he was indicted. He's not been indicted. Oh, the difference between an indictment charged. and a charge. Right. We've had lawyers come here to explain that. But uh, when Ed Burke was charged uh, for uh, attempting to shake down a Burger King franchisees to force that guy to swap a zoning uh, approval uh, for a <laughs> property tax business. Anyway, uh, when he was charged with uh, that, suddenly it turned <laughs> Lori's uh, weaknesses in the strength, her weakness was that she wasn't experienced in terms of City Hall. Her weakness was that she had no governing ability. I mean, um, I should strike that. Joanna's ready to pounce. Uh, she had no experience governing. She was a complete outsider. All of a sudden, that was a favorable thing, and it was an attribute not to be part of this whole process. That's correct. And the Fritz situation, in some way, we were trying to position ourselves, I think, as part of this trend that we've seen in recent years towards reform. Fritz, just a year prior, had beaten Joe Barrios. Fritz Kage right. is his Fritz name. Fritz Kage, the assessor, now the assessor, had beaten the entrenched machine incumbent Joe Barrios. There was the connection, um, you know, between Barrios and the Preckwinkle stuff, and so, and Burke, and so it was all part of this narrative that we were trying to weave. So, in a way, it wasn't actually, I mean, it was a, an in-the-weeds story, the Fritz bill, mm -hmm. uh, or the, uh, the Martwick bill Mark about the assessor's bill, office, yeah. but it was just right along with the narrative and the tr the theme we had been trying yeah. to construct. Uh, and then that's, we, we know what Wick. happened. All right, yeah. so I sit 
mildly corrected. Uh, she had it was already not just it, a moment of desperation. Yeah, then. it wasn't complete and utter desperation. Our, our hail mary had already <laughs> happened at that point. No, yeah. you had already. Yeah, you'd you'd been bailed out by the Burke uh, charge, the uh, the uh, TV, the Sun Times endorsement. Uh, now you were trying to keep the momentum going. How about that for a twist? You're trying to keep the momentum going. There, okay, All fine, right. true. <laughs> I'll take that one. Uh, and uh, so you had this. Uh, you were championing uh, her opposition to this bill that nobody in the world knew about, and Mark Wick showed up as if you invited him there. We uh, should have. You should. Or someone who looked exactly like him. Yeah, yeah. showed up and uh, got into it with Tony, went toe to toe. Now, were you in the room at the time? With Lori. What did I say? Tony. Oh, my God. Not to correct the host. Uh, yes. <laughs> Feel free to. Everybody else does. Uh, so, anyway, uh, now, were you in the room no, at the time? Were I'm, you in the room? No. Nadia was there solo, and she was like, uh, should I do something? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, this, I mean the, these press conferences happen all the time. The other 90 of them you're not talking about because nobody showed up and got into a screaming <laughs> match with Lori. But um, and these are just, this was this was par for the course. I mean, we were eight days out, people were paying attention. I think this was a couple days before Robin Kelly endorsed, but I mean, we were starting to get the type of momentum and if a story comes out that is about breaking up the machine, that's where we were. And that was, like, as you said, that's sort of how the race evolved into Lori's strengths to the mayor-elect strengths. Um, and for, you know, look, we, we joked about it and we probably will continue to joke about it for a <laughs> while, but I mean, it, he, shows up like a political cartoon of the machine and he's what probably six foot one and laurie's you know no he why well, i know mark we everyone six foot one. everyone is six foot one <laughs> next to the mayor well mayor I, mean, I mean she's she's five foot one and you the the contrast the study and contrast yeah. between the two of them just visually yeah. and the way that she held her ground I think not only and that she knew her stuff. Oh, I mean, she he, knew the bill. Yeah, she knew the bill. He she did you read it? Yeah, she did. She's read everything. <laughs> trust me, if it's a legal document, she has she has oh studied it. Have questions for you about no, that? But I mean, she she was. I mean, she looked like she was you know being towered over, but she wasn't intimidated. She wasn't cowed. She held around. And look, this is Chicago mayor's race. People pay attention yeah. to the earned media, and so when this happened, I don't know how many people told you and me both. That, you know, I really like Tony and I really like Susanna, but I really like how she handled that situation. Yeah, no, that was a Susanna Mendoza uh, moment, if I may. Uh, everybody join and teases me. She, you know, everybody knows I like Susanna. But one of the things about By Susanna. The way, I like Susanna too. Okay, yeah, I, of know, course. I know. Uh, but Susanna Mendoza, she's not afraid. You know, and politically, Susanna and I have had her, our differences over the years, but I respect the fact that she's not afraid to get into a tangle. And Chicagoans do like that in their politicians. They I think like that's it. why they like Rom, that he wasn't afraid to get into it with people and say he had that reputation okay. for being a mf'er and first of all i don't know how many people in chicago like rom second no, no, of all, when he was first i mean in 2011 when yeah he was no like, i know you're right you're absolutely the thing correct. about yeah. him you know being profane and being willing to you know give everyone the what was it order. take the tampon out and yeah, man it up the take out yeah. your tampons line yeah. and the dead fish thing and yeah and all that stuff yeah people liked it, that at the but time. then they realized that he only did it with people who were weak and vulnerable he never did it anybody who was tough and strong <laughs> like don't go there ben 
but I wouldn't call Karen Lewis not tough or strong. Well, he he, he picked Karen Lewis because she thought she wasn't going to be tough or strong, and then he well, that backfired. Yeah, that well, she she was and is so. Yeah, she was and is, and he totally underestimated Karen Lewis and the Chicago Teachers Union. One of my favorite topics. But let's move on. Let's go back to the uh, the mayoral race, and uh, we haven't mentioned the big name in the race other than Preckwinkle, and that would be Bill Daly. Sure. Um, what was your thoughts about how to deal with Bill Daly? Uh, was it similar to dealing with Rom? No. Um, we were all about market share, right? We were trying to get to first or second place. Um, the type of, no, from the poll that we had and from what we had seen in other publicly available data, the type of voter that, that Bill Daly was going after was not necessarily in many cases the same voter that we had our best crack at. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like we were ignoring Bill Daly. We really were ignoring everybody except ourselves and trying to get our own message out. Um, it would have been nice to have some of those resources. Um, we were dramatically outspent. Just like one Basquillion of the dollars. Yes, we only had like 1.5 Basquillion. <laughs> we could have put this Bill thing Daly away a lot earlier. Bill spent nearly $7 million. Wow. Seven, I forgot and that. He was, and his race ended on February 26th. We went for another five weeks and we never got to $7 million. Is that right? Bill or Daly spent $7 million. What was that all about? It was about, uh, I mean, I think the strategy was to just be present in an all-encompassing way and to be it in every... But he, he was on TV early. Um, he was on TV late. He did. I, I don't know if he, he was did on mail. all the TV. He paid for a lot of field. He paid for a lot of other things. I mean, he was just. Well, he was also paying his staff way more than what is average for, you know, his staff and consultants. They were getting paid like, you know, corporate <laughs> level salaries. Mm-hmm. Like they the, did a lot of polling. I noticed um, yeah, there was a lot. I mean, it was just it was a it was a big time campaign that you would expect from a former White House Chief of Staff and Commerce Secretary, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We were not in that boat. We had very, (laughs) very different path to get our message out. We did not have $7 Um, million. And and, and we were in a position, I mean, the nice thing about about our campaign, I think that ended up being one of the difference makers at the end, at least for the margin that we had in the second round was, uh, we were getting support from all different corners of the electorate. There were a lot of, um, people in the um, you know the grassroots community and the progressive community. We had folks from the legal world because of um, Lori's background and folks that she had worked with and people in police accountability. All these different folks had come and support our campaign, and you know we weren't reliant on just one or two sources of of um, funding for our ad. So that's why I think in the second round we were able to to stay on the air and to stay communicative throughout the entire campaign when. Um, there was a period where the practical campaign couldn't, and, which uh, was a big deal. So, uh, go ahead. Well, one other thing, I think that one of the dynamics that just became uh, incredibly forceful in in round one was uh, local 150 buying this massive ad by attacking Bill Daly and dragging his numbers down. Mm. That I don't think was intended to benefit us, um, and I don't. I, you know, we ended up coming in first place, but we were watching this play out and going, okay, how is this? In a field of 14 candidates, how does this change the math and how does this change our path to victory? It was probably intended to help Susanna Mendoza, but in reality, uh, it helped every candidate in the race not named Daly. Well, uh, so our first ad, <laughs> our first ad talked about the four, and we called them the four horsemen, but it was <laughs> it was the four candidates who had ties to Ed Burke. It was Daly, mm-hmm. 
Preckwinkle, Mendoza, and Gary Chico. Yep. And one of the things I'll say, our, our January poll, the candidate that I was actually most concerned about was Gary Chico. Um, he had been on TV, his ads were professional, his ads were on message, they were, you know, they were talking about some change, they made him a blue collar guy. Um, and he was the, I think one of the only, he had probably the best personal standing of any of the candidates we tested. And he looked like he had the ability to surge. I think absent the, if people were looking for change, absent the Burke fiasco, I think Gary Chico had a really good chance of getting into Is the second round. Is that right? Yeah, good. he did seem to be How surging. could anybody, that's that's my problem right there. One of my many problems with the Chicago electorate, uh, Joanna's heard me a million times in this subject. How could anybody look at Gary Chico's career and think of him as an agent of change. This guy is the ultimate consummate daily insider. He held every freaking possible position in the daily administration, and he's an agent of change. We don't criticize the voters. <laughs> I was on your show the day yeah. Gary Chico got in the race, I remember, is that at right? the old station that shall not be named. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we had this conversation then. Do we did? We got to dig it up in the archives. Yeah, we'll have to dig it up in that old station <laughs> W. You're fired! Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, so Gary Chico, agent of change. Wow, anything will happen in the city of Chicago. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I, I presume that those ad buys were to help Mendoza, but in reality, they also helped you. It was an important dynamic in the race. I, I, I'm just mentioning it because it changed. And it may have helped Tony get into the runoff more than it really helped us. Y- yeah. Like we Going there I, I think that's retrospect. I think that's absolutely right. Joanna's right. If 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 one fifty doesn't spend that money, mm-hmm. um, and Daly's able to get his message out unfettered at the volume that he was getting it out, um, you know, it wasn't that different two and three in the in the the punch order at the end of the the first round. I mean, it was really we didn't know until late on uh, that Tuesday night whether we were going to be facing. We knew we were in, but we didn't know if we were going to be facing uh, Preckwinkle or Daly until, uh, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock. Now, uh, in national campaigns, uh, and you both know this, uh, when a candidate is figures out that he or she uh, will not win in a state, they pull out and go on to the next state, or they concentrate on that area of a state, we're talking about a primary, where they can win. Uh, we're coming now down in our chronological telling of this story closer to election day, and Lori Lightfoot is learning, figuring it out, your campaign is figuring out that she's very much in the race. Was there a section of the city that you realized was your strength that you should concentrate on, like the equivalent of what Hillary should have done in the last election and gone to Michigan or Wisconsin, which she managed not to do? I think once Joanna and I realized that we had a shot, I think we were actually trying to go to Michigan or Wisconsin. <laughs> Just, it was a little too stressful for us. I had what my mom calls spilkus. Uh-huh. Yeah. And my mom would say the same thing. Look, we did have a, we had a coalition of young and by young in in the polling parlance, it's under fifty. Um, <laughs> well, that's liberal. Look, look at the electorate. Look at the electorate. Yeah. The younger progressive <laughs> voters, white voters, African American voters, um, you know, some progressive Hispanic voters as well. But it was a younger, more uh, liberal audience that we really keyed our field efforts in. And look, we had, I think, one of the other things we've heard since the election was that oh, Lightfoot didn't even have a campaign. We had a good campaign. We had a really good team. Um, we had Rob Foydick and Michelle Jett who were running our political and field operations. Dave Malay, who um, had previously run statewide campaigns, was doing everything, basically. Nadia Pearl, who we talked about. A number of other folks as well um, who were just uh, every day you know, 
banging their heads against the wall until something just broke loose and then we were ready to move. And doing it without being paid a ton of money. I mean, they weren't, I'm not saying they weren't being paid anything, but it wasn't a high budget campaign. We were on a shoestring, we were making it work. And so those are the folks who wrote it out even mm-hmm. when it looked like we had no chance at all. And um, you know that should count for something. They they really put in the work. But did you know beforehand that your strength uh, geographically in the city was the north side? Did you know that? Yeah, I, I was. What, if you would have asked me to color in on a map where we, what precincts we were going to win, if we even when I thought we might finish second or third or fourth or whatever it was, that wouldn't have been that different from where we actually did well. We knew there was some anecdotal evidence from other polling that we had heard that. 47th Ward, um, you know, where uh, Amaya Pawar. Your homeland. Yeah, where yeah. I live. Oh, I live just a couple blocks north of there. But mm-hmm. they they were, you know, they're our base, and they did quite well. And then there were parts. Look, I mean, I think without Tony Preckwinkle's um, long history, uh, the third, fourth, and fifth wards were also places where, I think we finished second, where Lori's uh, profile and persona and, and message really resonated. Uh, the 32nd Ward, where we got that really key endorsement from uh, Alderman Waggis pack a few days before the election. These are, you know, these are progressive, um, well um, educated about the campaign voters, people who are really following the campaign all the way through, who were looking for something different, who mm-hmm. were looking for a change agent and didn't see it in the, the four leading candidates and had some concerns about some of the other candidates and felt that, like the Sun Times and others, that Lori was the one. And uh, so, all right, let's be honest, uh, the two of you, no spin. Uh, on the day before the election, or even the day of the election, did you think you were going to be victorious? Or were you thinking, well, it was a nice try. Mm, guess I got to figure out what I'm going to do next. Joanna. I knew we had a chance. I, If you had asked me to, if you had a gun to my head, I would have said we were going to come in third. Two, who, who'd you predict for first one and two? Tony and Bill Daly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I knew we had a chance, and I couldn't decide whether I, that was what, I mean, I wanted to win, but I was also terrified mm-hmm. that, of what does it mean if we actually make it. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I was telling people that I thought we would probably finish third. I privately knew that we could finish second. I was not expecting to finish first. I never the, thought we'd come in first. The only person I think of who, who actually thought we would finish first is, was Adnan. Adam Muslim is one of our, yeah. uh, our, he does our direct mail consultant. Mm-hmm. He's, he, was, he was one of the ones who was around from the beginning and stuck it out the entire way. Um, and he, he, was, he did believe that we were going to finish first. Well, Jason, what did the last poll show? I always love about internal polls. No, I mean, yeah. th- th- well, th- you should ask Bill Daly. I'm not, and I'm not joking because they had the resources <laughs> to poll up yeah, until the end of the campaign. Uh, hold on, let me just call. Yo, yeah, Bill. Uh, it's I'm me, sh- yeah, yeah, right, the guy you've but never talked to. We, we, we heard rumors from other campaigns that had more resources, but we were not spending money on polling in the last, cam- last few weeks of the campaign. We were, every time... Wait, stuff. so what did you do? You're the pollster. If they're not going to spend if money, had extra what did dollars, I do? They were going into the TV yeah. buy. I, Any uh, dollar. Yeah. I don't know what I did. What did I do? <laughs> Mostly like annoyed me. Yeah. <laughs> That's his job, annoying yeah. Joanna. Uh, I, I, I did one or two things that maybe, you know, that may have <laughs> been a problem. did a few things that were helpful. All yeah. right. So, <laughs> that we'll uh, talk about off but the air. They're, they're, uh, <laughs> we're now at the, uh, the pivotal change. Everything changed, but I'm thinking back on it. Really, it was, unless, correct me if I'm wrong here, there were no 
bumps on the road, serious bumps for Lori Lightfoot in that first round. Nothing that... Um, no I mean, if you don't count the first nine months, then sure. <laughs> you mean that we didn't have any negative scandal? Yeah, it's not like Bill Clinton in New Hampshire. No. Suddenly the word comes out that sex scandal down in Arkansas. No, know? no, that's no. Not, nothing like that. Time. Uh, but uh, so there was nothing like that. It was just sort of like... Because we were underestimated. Nobody was investigative reporting on us or anything like that. They just didn't take us seriously. Speaking of investigations, I have to ask you this. You were preparing for uh, uh, to run against Mayor Rahm. Was there the opposition research book done on Mayor Rahm? We had a professional um, researcher on our team who was ready to go. Ready to go or did he do it? September and February are a long ways away, but we... Look, a lot of it's so in other words, he a lot of it. a lot of what we would have run on a campaign. Look, the the mayor of Chicago and the strengths and weaknesses that he brought to this campaign were well established. I don't know that there was going to be something we could find that would have been more powerful in some communities than this guy just raised your property taxes through the hilt. Yeah. Or um, look at what happened with the Laquan McDonald case. I mean, what might have been stronger than that? Uh, you know, I don't have know. Have you ever we seen that? Uh, okay, well, if you have an opposition research book, just send it to me. I'll yeah. give you my email address. <laughs> you got to let uh, it go, Ben. It's over. You got three more over. days of, of Mayor Manuel. You got to find. <laughs> what are you going to do? Wait, uh, time doesn't go after. Uh, let me just. Uh, let me just. Uh, yeah, right. Wait, what am I going to do? Well, there's a new mayor in I, town. I know what he's going to do. <laughs> let, me, let me just say this about that. People made the same prediction, made the same comment to me back in 2011. What are you going to do, Ben? Richard Daly's gone. What are you going to do? Well, there's Great. this other Time guy coming talk. down there. Great. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and besides, Mayor Rahm is continually writing uh, essays where he extols his virtue. So That's true. He's writing a lot of essays. Yeah, somebody is, and they put his name on it. All right. Take a so, chill pill, man. <laughs> a little sound effect to care of Dennis. No, do it again. One more Take a time. chill pill, man. All right. So, thank you, Rahm. Uh, and, and so, all right. Everything changes overnight. Uh, by the way, I'd love to see the Oppo research file on Lori. I bet you would. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, and so everything changes overnight. Uh, Lori Lightfoot is victorious, and um, all of a sudden, there's uh, it's not Bill Daly, it's Tony Prickwinkle. All right, so I have to ask you this: Yes, you uh, you, you you weren't. You didn't know for certain that you were going to win, but I have to believe you were prepared for the eventuality of winning because you cannot go into it. Just well, we got prepared like a few days before. <laughs> so who did you, uh, were you prepared for a Tony race? Were you prepared for a Bill Daly race? In general. I'm telling you, we were looking at like vacation rentals in Michigan and Wisconsin. <laughs> like, we wanted to get out of um, town. I was looking at Spain. Yeah, right. No, oh, I mean, I, I, we knew it was going to be one of the two of them, and totally different races. Totally different races. The running against President Preckwinkle, whose positions on many issues were similar to Lori Lightfoot's, although their backgrounds were quite different, mm-hmm. um, allowed us to broaden our um, broaden our, 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 our appeal and. and reach voters that we might not have been able to reach had we been running against Bill Daly. All right, let me boil it down to this. Uh, if you had been running against uh, Bill Daly, you would have been ta- attacked from the right, and I have that in quotes, the right in terms of Chicago politics, Crane Chicago Business, right. uh, the Tribunal, Editorial Board would have been against you, uh, General Corporate Chicago would have denounced uh, Lori Lightfoot as the second coming 
uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, but as instead, you are against uh, Tony Preckwinkle, who was supported uh, by the Chicago Teachers Union, by SEIU. I'm losing track of some of the unions. It's been a while. And, and so you are attacked from the left. And suddenly, uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, was turned into, uh, you know, uh, a cop. Uh, basically uh, or a cop. Rom. Rom, Rom two. Part two, yeah, yeah Rom part two, a cop, Rom part two. Um, all right, talk about dealing with that. Suddenly, you're now. She'd been running as an outsider all this time. She'd been uh, talking about how she was going to be different than Rom, and suddenly she's being faced with the charge that she's just more of the same. I mean, this is one of the moments where being a pollster was really helpful because we were hearing a lot of this and. It's a head-to-head race, so everything gets covered, and some of these accusations, and you know whether it's social media and you know certain you know elected officials and other people who are are, are getting in front of the camera or getting in front of the keyboard and making all these accusations. Our data showed that they were not representative of most of the communities they claimed to be representing. We were winning handily with uh, white liberals, white, moderate, and conservatives, African-American liberals, African-American, moderate, and conservative, Hispanic voters, uh, younger voters, older voters, um, parents. You know, we were, we were doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously not unanimous. We didn't get a quarter of the vote, and we were never, um, I don't think we even thought we would get you know, 74%, but we knew that what she was saying and who she was and why she wanted to lead and the direction she wanted to lead is where the vast majority left, center, and right wanted to go. Um, and so to hear people who we otherwise might have thought of as our allies, you know, criticize her for things that we think and thought were ridiculous, it was easier to sort of shrug it off our shoulders knowing that the voters really weren't with them and didn't see the things the same way. You agree with that? Yeah, I think that's right. I think there was also this, Jason can talk way more about this than I can as the pollster, but there was this conversation that I think our opposition was trying to have about who's the true progressive in the race. Yeah, um, that just wasn't the vote. It's just not where the voters were. The voters believed that Lori was very progressive, and that both candidates were progressive, and they also didn't really care about that question very much. Yeah, I mean that's true. We we asked that, and well, from the other side, from the the Preckwinkle camp, both their campaign and their allies and surrogates really leaned heavily into this, well, who's the true liberal? Which was unfortunate for them from a messaging perspective for two reasons. One is most of the city's not liberal. Mm. You know, they vote for uh, Democrats, and if it's a Democrat versus a Republican, they'll almost certainly go in the D's direction. But only 35 to 40% actually self-identify as liberal. So Mm. who's more progressive is not something that a lot of people even care about. And the second thing is, People thought that Lori Lightfoot was more progressive because she wasn't a machine politician. She wasn't the chair of the Cook County Democratic Party. She wasn't taking all this incoming every day that uh, Preckwinkle had been taking. And so they wanted to have this debate on terrain for them that wasn't really fruitful for them. I would would, uh, take exception to something you said, but it's a really interesting uh, uh, avenue for discussion, Jason. Uh, I think that who's more progressive uh, is a very important question in the city of Chicago. It's in a primary. It's key. It's paramount. Uh, It's very important, for instance, that Lori Lightfoot establish herself as a quote unquote progressive, whatever that means, or she won't have a chance. Uh, Bill Daly was the only candidate in the race who just said, I am not a progressive. I'm for 
tiffs. Uh, you know, <laughs> Which was a smart strategy to get into the second round. To get round. into the second round. Right. Right. He would have been annihilated, in my humble opinion, in the second round because you're not going to win in Chicago if your coalition is Cranes and the Tribune. <laughs> I just don't see that happening. You could, you could maybe take the 43rd Ward. Maybe the forty third ward. Uh, no, we and, did pretty well over there. Yeah, we did do uh, really well there. And uh, <laughs> but you weren't running against Bill Daly. That's that true. would have been a different thing. Or Mayor Rom. They love Mayor Rom so much in the forty third ward. They like you know like tattoos of him. All right. So um, <laughs> I don't uh, think that's true. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone in the forty third ward has, has a tattoo. tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That's not the part. That's the part of the <laughs> nobody who votes at least. Uh, okay, but you agree with me that they really love. <laughs> so uh, the, 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 but it's an interesting thing you're you're saying that. I, I just I gotta take a moment to just deal with this uh, Joanna Joanna you listen to listen to what he just said um, uh, Chicago is not a, really a liberal city think about this this goes to show you how definite we're moving astray here from the conversation but think about what that says about uh, the definition of liberal Chicago has voted uh, over 80 percent for the Democratic candidate for uh, president in every single election, I think, since, I want to go back to the 90s, definitely uh, Gore, Kerry, Obama, and Hillary, uh, most people in America would say that those are liberals. I just named four liberals. Uh, And yet, Chicago doesn't view itself as a liberal city. Wow. I'm not quite sure what to say about that. What do you think? Well, I think that the way we think about local elections may be different from the way we think about national. But I also think going back to the days of Al Gore, it's like sort of too long ago to be relevant to the current political climate. Um, certainly being progressive was part of the the narrative and the branding of Lori Lightfoot that made her popular and made her someone who people wanted to vote for. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the only thing. Yeah, And it wasn't having a debate about who was more progressive only served us. Yeah, it, I mean, the ideological aspect of the differences between, the, like, they're not that dramatically different ideologically. However, who's a change agent? Who's going to be independent? Who's going to lead the city in a different direction? Those were all, I mean, and, and I don't say that to be disrespectful of President Preckwinkle. She's just the chair of the Cook County Democratic Party and the president <laughs> yeah. of the of the Cook County Commissioner. I mean, yeah. it's hard to be the change agent yeah. when you are in charge. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that's a good way of putting it. All right. Uh, so was there, I'll ask this question in reverse from uh, the previous, was there ever a moment during the um, uh, the runoff where you thought, oh my God, we could lose this? The question before was, oh my God, is there any way we can win this? Now the question is, is there any way we could lose this? No, I think we knew. <laughs> Once we got there, we we woke up the next day and kind of, I remember we got like, no, we got more than like 30 minutes of sleep that night. We we met at eight in the morning on April, or February 27th. And once we had like one cup of coffee, everyone was like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a certain way. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We were, we were not going to lose a race that was about change when the candidate dynamic was what it was. Right. All right, let me ask you this one. In retrospect, Monday morning quarterbacking, serious Monday morning quarterbacking, um, pretend you were on the other side. Is there anything Tony Preckwinkle could have done that would have at least made it a competitive race? She, 
I, I think she squandered a few opportunities in terms of um, the the tone that her campaign set. It, it felt as though they made things a little bit personal and harsh. And like I understand when you're down 30 points, the only way that you can really crawl back into the race is to make your opponent unelectable. And we've all been in those situations as well. But like, she has a record. Um, and I think she tried, she started off trying to talk about her record as a progressive. But a lot of what she did was talk about what she had done. And some of it was further back and some of it was more recent. And very little of it was forward looking. Um, and elections are about the future. Elections are about um, what people want to see next. And I think while we were really focused on trying to offer that, um, you know, our ads had uh, Mayor like Lightfoot's daughter in them. It talked a little bit about uh, next generation. We talked. To, we didn't get a, a sense from her campaign about what came next. Why did she want? She was the county board president. She was the chair of the board. Why did she want to be mayor? What was she going to do different? How was her term? You know, we were criticized for being the next term of Rom, but we were also putting out a series of forward-looking, um, you know, agenda items and communicating that as a theme. And I, I'm, I'm sure they had plans, and I'm sure they had, uh, you know, an idea of how they wanted to govern. But it didn't really come through, at least not in my estimation. I think there were a couple of weeks in round one where they were rolling stuff out, um, pretty substantive, good, mm -hmm. progressive policy, where they were looking really strong and there was a lot to be excited about there. Uh, and at some point, I think it just became difficult to change the subject from what, what was the conversation that was happening. I think yeah. it just kind of was a runaway train. I'd, I'm not sure by the time it got to that point that there would have been uh, a whole hell of a lot that they could have done to change course. Mm -hmm. Man, we really didn't talk very much about Tony Preckwinkle. We there we had one ad that was a response ad to an attack against. They attacked us uh, on election night um, in her speech, and yeah, they came was, out with an was, ad. Yeah. They came out with an ad a couple of days later that was uh, aggressive, and which is fine. That's how this is done, and we responded to that. But beyond that, I I, I think Mayor Like Lightfoot really kept the focus on her plans and her vision and why she wanted to be the mayor. Yeah, and look, the other thing I'll say about this is the election's over, and yeah. so I know this is a conversation about what happened <laughs> in the election, but the, I think that there is something, you know, President Preckwinkle and the mayor-elect had lunch this mm -hmm. week, it was in the news, and I got really like emotional when I saw it. Like, There is something incredibly compelling about the idea of these two forces of nature, these two women who have transcended all kinds of challenges that they were whether born with or born into um, to get to where they are. And the idea of them joining forces is is a powerful image for everyone. Um, and so I have a very strong urge to leave everything that happened in the past. Yeah. Like the election's over. There's stuff that they shouldn't have done. There's stuff that I, I wouldn't have done if I was on their campaign. I don't know that we really need to like re-dissect it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's the the three citywide elected officers in Chicago are women of color. Yeah. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle, Kim Fa. I mean, it's there's a lot to celebrate about where the county and the city are right now. Yeah, and and so I have, and I think the same can be said with the, with her relationship, you know, with the city council. And this thing was extremely divisive for those of us who are political insiders, especially in the progressive community. This race really ripped apart a lot of relationships, and I feel a very strong urge to say, okay. Let's say our peace to each other and then let's move on mm -hmm. because we have massive opportunities here to get stuff done, to make prog actual progressive policy. Uh, there's a lot that they are, you know, mm -hmm. there's so much that 
the two factions are aligned on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got to really pivot back to like real life now. Right. I mean, it's it's instructive. I mean, I think the Preckwinkle versus Lightfoot fight became so all encompassing that when Laura Lightfoot got into the race, Tony Preckwinkle was not in the race. It was not about the differences between them no. or the differences within the progressive. It was about what she was concerned about the in terms of the direction of the city and how she thought her background and her, her vision would actually make a difference. And so we can kind of come full circle and, and you know, right where we started, we're, we're, you know, three days away, or I guess as we're talking, two hours away from uh, from, from Lori Lightfoot becoming the 56th yeah. mayor of Chicago, yeah. which is great. Or the great thing about podcasting is Dr. D likes to point out, it could be a month after. <laughs> uh, you can listen you anytime, folks. It's podcasting. All right, very good. That's as good a uh, point to break it as any. Jason McGrath and Joanna Klonsky, good friends of the Ben Jarofsky Show, talking about their time on the Lori Lightfoot campaign. The next time you hear Joanna in the studio, we'll be probably doing a creep update. Uh, on all the terrible things that uh, it's one of our favorite topics, but also we got to do. I got to get Joanna back in the in the studio uh, to talk seriously about the abortion issue. How Republicans have dedicated them to a strategy that I think is sheer insanity from a uh, political point of view and a moral point of view. Uh, and so I really would love, I'm looking forward to the opportunity talking about national politics on that front with Joanna Klansky. And we've given Jason McGrath a title here at the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show. He's Ben Jarofsky Polster. Yes. And uh, so promotion. promotion Polster. <laughs> so we'll be bringing him back uh, as the uh, presidential campaign uh, unwinds. Uh, Jason, it's, it's everything I can do to resist asking you some Joe Biden questions right now. I'm like, obsessed with the Joe Biden campaign for many different reasons that nobody really understands. But, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you so much for coming and uh, coming on the show and sharing these ta- uh, recollections of Lori Lightfoot's campaign. And thanks, thank you folks for listening. Uh, we'll see you on Tuesday, everybody. Take care.